Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaik. Now, it was World Hospice and Palliative Care Day on the 14th of October. And uh, in conjunction, uh, sort of leading up to that here on Health and Living, we've been featuring various perspectives of living and dying well. And the idea was to challenge the norms in healthcare and in our society and our culture when it comes to talking about death loss and dying. And in our final perspective today, we'll be exploring the role of community volunteers and uh, in in supporting people with life-limiting illnesses. They may or may not be at the end of life. And uh, the principle, the very important value of interdependence within our community and how that could lead to better death experiences. Joining me for this very important discussion today, Venerable Tian Wen, Spiritual Counsellor uh, with Assisi Palliative Care, and he's also the Chairman of the Universal Kindness Caring Buddhist Society, and Mok Chekbun, a volunteer with Suchi Foundation. If you have any questions or thoughts you'd like to share, you can call us at 03-7733-2900, WhatsApp us at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, Sufu Tianwen and Mr. Mok, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. How are the both of you? Good, good, good. Thank you for Thank having, you for the inviting. And so, like as I as I mentioned in the last few months, uh, about once a month, we've been trying to um, you know put the spotlight on different perspectives of living and dying well in the context of palliative care. I've spoken to palliative care physicians. I've also spoken to a person with motor neuron disease, a, a life limiting disease, and uh, just basically getting different views about death and dying. Um, and, and it can be so taboo in our community to talk about this. So as community-based volunteers working in these areas, I would like to get each of you to share uh, from your respective uh, uh, you know, point of view, your views on, on death and dying and how do you see palliative and hospice care playing a role in this? Um, perhaps before you could start first. Right, thank you, Xiao uh, Ei, for this invitation. And uh, indeed, I've seen uh, across my um, expertise in the spiritual care as a healthcare trained uh, chaplain, uh, we see a lot of death and dying, no doubt about that. But um, <clears throat> it's a process that we have to go through. And in many ways, it is a very good opportunity. Uh, for as human beings, uh, as you know, we go through uh, aging, illness, and death, um, and it is a, one of the key moments, I should say, that we learn as being a human being. And um, no doubt, there are a lot of emotions, uh, sadness, and grief, and loss. Uh, but it's a very meaningful. Um, process and a moment where the community, the family, the relatives, the friends all gather together, right, Mm. Um, to be with uh, a dying person. Mm. Yes. And if we we are too afraid to think about that process, we we lose um, that awareness of how meaningful it can be, right? Indeed, Mm. indeed. Mr. Mok, your thoughts? Okay. My thoughts, uh, same as a hobby photographer, uh, during my forest hiking, I took a lot of uh, a nature photo, 
but it, it shows how the nature plants go through the process of die mm. or that of dying. So that I will determine a good diet allow lover ones and individual to prepare for diet. Okay, a dying person may want to be complete, unfinished task, finalize their will and share the final sentiment with the friends and the family. Mm, that's right. This is the that phase of life when you realize, yes. like you said, right, incomplete, or you want to complete what what you hadn't been able to do. Um, so, for perhaps we can start to bring in palliative and especially pastoral palliative care. Uh, perhaps we could get into that by uh, looking at what you do in your role with the Universal Kindness Caring Buddhist Society. Well, uh, what we do is we prepare. Uh, in the, in the broader sense, I should say, that uh, everyone goes through um, aging, illness and death, right? By participating, by learning the process, uh, by being with uh, a dying person, right? So we, as a, you know, universal kind of uh, caring Buddhist society, would like to engage the community, right? Uh, to be more positive towards this uh, uh, this endeavor, to bring forth um, compassion, empathy uh, to the whole community. Mm. Uh, because if we um, look at even this year's uh, World Hospice and Palliative Care, uh, this year's theme is uh, compassionate communities, mm. right? Together for palliative care. So the stress is looking towards going back to the community whereby it is the responsibility of everyone actually because everyone, as I look at over the years, I see uh, the most inclusive aspect is death and dying. And as a human being itself, well, how do we care? and showing our compassionate uh, empathy to our fellow human beings, right? Irregardless of uh, ethnic, racial, gender, age, uh, social background, yeah, it, it is very inclusive. Yeah. When you say um, that the idea is to invite the community to participate, what do you mean by that, participating? So we can draw on, uh, this is very interesting, from uh, Professor Alan Kelly here. Uh, he proposed that com uh, compassionate communities, uh, especially in particular looking at palliative care. Uh, one of the examples that he said uh, in this article is looking at uh, St. Christopher. Uh, where it's modern hospice, uh, Dame Cicely Saunders that founded that. Uh, they Over there, they have a program where they engaged with schools to visit hospice care centres. So in a way, through this project itself, the community come together to learn what is being, you know, uh, death and dying mm. and loss and grief, so much so that it enables the positive 
support. And in other words, it's all bring forth the students right, at the very young age that, you know, when we are encountering death and loss in our family, that anxiety, that fear can be curtailed or reduced. Plus, everyone goes through this. So that camaraderie, bringing forth that community to support each other during good times and bad times, especially a dying person. So you get questions where, you know, why uh, patients are, you know, having the death rattle sound or, you know, you find very uh, interesting students uh, asking very curious, you know, questions and asking why certain parts of the body is being amputated, mm. right? Uh, for instance, uh, if a be- uh, breast cancer patient is, uh, uh, has uh, to remove the mm-hmm. breast. So all these kinds of questions, if you start from the very, you know, very heart of uh, the ch- a child. Mm. So it enables the community to come together to support the idea that, oh, you know, death is not so much as a taboo where they participate and they bring, you know, a man's joy. I've seen that as well, uh, where um, children, once they walk into uh, a nursing home, to hospitals, to, you know, hospice centres, they bring not just hope, but they bring meaning for the patients. Absolutely. Um, We'll need to go for a quick break, but when we come back, Mr. Mock, I will turn to you to get you to describe uh, your volunteer work in in many various aspects. You do quite a lot of volunteer work and perhaps we can then narrow down to how you work with Hospital Selayang, for instance, in their palliative care unit. But we'll go for a quick break first. Do share your thoughts with us. Um, Our guests have been sharing very, um, I think, very enlightening and uh, it forces us to confront a lot of things that perhaps we usually don't want to talk about. So you can call us 03-777-32900, WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. I'm speaking to the Venerable Tianwen, Chairman of the Universal Kindness Caring Buddhist Society and Mok Chekbun, a volunteer with Suchi Foundation. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. Today we're looking at living and dying well, and especially the role of community, all of us, in uh, participating in loss, death and dying, what we can do to uh, reach out to each other in, in good and bad times, as uh, my guest has put it earlier, the Venerable Tianwen, Spiritual Counselor with Assisi Palliative Care and Chairman of the Universal Kindness Caring Buddhist Society, as well as Mok Chekbun, volunteer with Suchi Foundation. Call us with your thoughts or any experiences you'd like to share. 03 WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. So, Mr. Mock, turning to you now, can you describe your um, various volunteer roles and particularly um, what you and other volunteers do in Hospital Salayang's palliative care unit? Okay. Uh, as normal, if a uh, hospital volunteer, uh, the most simple thing is 
we provide a moral support and psychosocial support. This is general. But we talk about the palliative ward, then we need to be have two uh, categories to be uh, looking on. One is you need more compassionate and to be a good listener. Because overall, uh, over here, the what is the end-of-life patient. One a word would be make them change the mindset and they are emotionally. That is my practice, I will see. I, I, I share, even I've been doing this uh, service is more than 15 years. I do have a mistake also. Uh, I do, uh, do it, have once experience before is when I with this patient have a very good relationship. So they, then when during our conversation, we laugh. When next of the bed, it newly came in about one day. Then I don't really know his feeling. Yeah. And when I turn the bed, I come back to him, he say, I say, how is you getting on? You can joke. You know, I will die soon. That onwards make me really realize every single word from my thought come out could be make them think of differently. Yeah. That's why I say a lot of people say, why palliative volunteers are so typical to need to be, uh, we could train up and need the buffing mm. instead of compared to the rest of the volunteer job. So uh, now uh, in present, we can see on the volunteer on uh, Hospital Salayang. Uh, that's why we do have uh, every week, we call that Friday PCU day. So we cater our volunteer come in. We do a small half day party day. Mm. We bring all the, uh, the family, some those even uh, the, the patient are able to uh, come up from the, uh, the, the, the bed. Then we will cater them in the place. We chit-chat with them. We make some handcraft. We make them and we cut hair with them. We cut knee with hand. All these I think we make them just like a family people to make them. Here not actually it's a hospital. Mm. It's a place for you to take a rest. Mm. Yep. Yep. So it's not, um, you're not doing anything medical with them. Definitely. That is not our expertise. Mm. We are provide a good listener skill mm. and compassionate. Yep. Yep. The 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 big picture of um, how you would support one individual, for instance. Um, and I understand, uh, Sufu, when you mentioned to me earlier, um, it is when somebody is referred to you, you don't just swoop in and talk to everyone. Uh, you know, regardless of what their needs are, right? Um, and, and so when someone, uh, whatever condition or stage of condition they're in, when they're referred to you um, as, as a pastoral care provider, how do you think of, okay, how am I going to approach supporting them? How will I understand what their needs are? Right, that's a good point. Uh, so we go back to person-centered care or patient-centered care as we look at this. So it's their needs that we need to identify, right? Uh, so um, imagine that we all have our favorite fruits, right? My favorite fruit might not be the same favorite fruit as yours. So 
right now it's how am I able to get what is the you know information from the patient from you, right? Let's say the example is that what is helping you, what gives you strength and calmness. You know, because uh, especially uh, in terms of palliative, it's a serious illness. Um, they need a lot of support, and to build that trust is very vital. So to gain that trust from the get go, uh, which uh, Mr. Mok has mentioned, uh, besides the compassionate presence, we actually have to do a lot of uh, active listening, mm. listening to their stories. What most, uh, what is most important to them, right? What matters most to them at that very very stage? Um, it is true. Then we can, you know, begin the process of identifying what are their spiritual needs, and then move on to explore together what are perhaps you know what are the care plan, what it entails, what it does it look like. Back and forth with them. Can you elaborate what you mean by spiritual needs? Right. So spiritual needs, we look at it, it. You know, it could be you know everyone can experience spirituality, right? So we need to identify what helps. Okay, what helps us to find meaning and purpose you know, in the things that we value. This is one, and. By looking at what are their needs, okay, we can bring hope in times of you know suffering of loss and pain, right? And it also encourages us to you know seek the resources that enables us to feel peaceful, fulfilling, you know, within ourselves and search for you know wholeness as part of the holistic care that we uh, provide that extra layer. Apart from that, uh, looking from a total pain perspective, where there's a physical, mm-hmm. there's a psycho, uh, emotional, mm-hmm. as well as the social aspect, and then the spiritual aspect of it. Mm. Um, Mr. Mok, what do you hear from the patients and family members that you've met in all the years of doing um, this volunteer work in terms of? What is what? What kind of spiritual needs do they have, or what are their fears? What are their worries, and how do you support that? Okay, uh, I I won't discuss on the uh, religious uh, spiritual care, but we talk about the spiritual care yeah. because a lot of spiritual care sometimes is just like a patient need. For example, I have a patient, thirty four years old. Uh, when he come in is a breast uh, meds, then uh, after care about one month to the long the journey. Father and mother is quite old, 70 something. Through the discussion, I try to uh, explore what this young man often doing. Because definitely we know that he don't have much as, uh, uh, on the believing on religious, but I definitely have something practice in their daylight. He would like. Then finally, I find he likes Tampakyong. So finally, for our team, we purposely bought a, a MP3 to record down 100 over song by Tampakyong. Every day we play with it until he discharged back. You know, when this patient, he, he know what we've been did it, end up, he told father, 
I'm so young. I didn't doing anything for society. I cannot return anything to her. So during the father was talk to me, then after we discussed, I say, I talked to the young man, say, you believe you can do something back to society? He said, uncle, what can I do? I say, you willing to be donate your body as pledge and giving to medical faculty to learning something? He said, why not? Mm. Finally, he did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see, from this, this aspect of caring, he mm. turned out somebody were knowing the value of his own self. Maybe he inspired his own self to try to making something and return to society. Mm. And this is part of the silent mentor program. You want to talk a little bit yes. about that, yeah. uh, Mr. Mok? Yeah. Uh, with University of Malaya, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Mm. So as silent mentors, uh, somebody uh, facing end of life is actually pledging their body for medical graduates to, to learn from? Uh, sorry, medical students. Uh, not only medical students. Actually, he will brought it whole through to, from medical students to research mm. to international workshop also their involvement because this is, we call it, uh, 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 we call it another type of uh, preserving uh, uh, body or we call cadaver for the new development skill. Uh. Yeah, okay. Mm. So, you know, this is one example of just, you know, in that conversation, in those conversations, um, you can um, help somebody, uh, I guess, uh, discover what value their life still can bring, right? Um, regardless of the, uh, the, the earthly time you have uh, on, on, uh, on, on our planet. But, you know, uh, so for, I guess... If we want to look even beyond, um, how can these kinds of experiences, uh, these kinds of conversations that volunteers like Mr. Mock have, um, how does that actually give somebody a better death experience? Well, we've seen some of the cases whereby uh, patients, uh, they pledged or sign up for you know, this whole silent mental program, we see a drastic or we could say a very positive change where, you know, um, they pretty much accept their death, impending death, and they see something that they, uh, their death could be of value and giving back to the broader, bigger society as well as the community. Uh, to start off is the medical community, the medical students, for that matter, and as well as the, the whole uh, medical field, where actual hands-on experience are enabled. Uh, also, it's also giving uh, solace to the family members of the deceased, whereby they also feel that uh, the legacy lives on in the community as opposed to, you know, that struggle that go through um, with, you know, death and dying. Yeah. yeah. So it's again looking at meaning and purpose, looking at uh, relationship and connectivity. Mm-hmm. So this is very much is uh, the spiritual care aspect that we are, you know, mm-hmm. providing and supporting. 
And uh, when we spoke earlier as well, Sufu, you mentioned that you don't just see this kind of support and interconnectedness being limited to only end-of-life mm-hmm. conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share how it could benefit really people in other stages of disease, perhaps even in earlier stages of disease, how it could also support healthcare workers um, who are just part of this whole ecosystem as well. Indeed. So we also run programs for like Tea for the Soul for uh, very, <clears throat> in the medical uh, setting, uh, the healthcare setting, especially in the ED, emergency department. Mm. It's a very highly stressful uh, environment So uh, healthcare professionals have to undergo a lot of intense pressure. So what we do is like we have, you know, um, sessions where they could just relax, tune into their inner self. You know, they practice, they could do a sip of just, you know, a small cup of tea, let them relax, have a breather or, you know, participate in something very simple as, you know, origami perhaps, or even for that matter, you know, just a brief connection with the trees, embracing the trees, um, walking walking out, you know, be with nature. Mm. Yeah. So this cuts down a lot of um, accumulated stress, Mm. right? And eventually we see a lot of burnout, in the healthcare professionals, uh, especially those in the ED uh, emergency. Mm. So we also, also another part of spiritual care is to also help not just end-of-life care. It's also, uh, for instance, there are some cases where I was uh, requested to uh, support is the patient having panic attacks, mm. anxiety and fear because they have a, a surgery for tomorrow. So all of a sudden, the, uh, the blood pressure is like, really, really high. So we, our presence will help you know, to calm them, let them go through, be along with them. Yeah, Absolutely. We'll go for another quick break and continue this conversation with the Venerable Tianwen, Chairman of the Universal Kindness Caring Buddhist Society, and Mok Chekbun, volunteer with Suchi Foundation. We're looking at the role of community in supporting each other when it comes to living and dying well. I think with the emphasis on the latter. Share your thoughts with us, 0377332900 or WhatsApp 018789 We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. My guest in the studio with me today, the Venerable Tianwen, Chairman of the Universal Kindness Caring Buddhist Society. He's also Spiritual Counselor with Assisi Palliative, Palliative Care and Mok Chekbun, a volunteer with Suchi Foundation. Um, we are discussing um, the role of community, uh, including um, volunteers in um, organisations such as which uh, Mr. Mok is with, um, the role of community in supporting people um, facing life-limiting um, illnesses and at the end of life as well, how this uh, spirit of interdependence within the communities is so important. Call us with your thoughts, 0377332900 or WhatsApp us at 018 789 
I think we've looked at how um, understanding um, the patient's needs uh, come first, uh, understanding what are their spiritual needs, and then looking at how you can uh, help to provide hope, um, resources, bring them uh, peace um, at a very difficult time in their life. Mr. Mock, can you share what else may come up um, you know, in this phase of life and how do you provide that support? Um, your, your role isn't to give them solutions, right? Uh, to, to tell them what to do, right? Normally, we should not giving any solution. That's why I say you should be a good listener to knowing what their need. Okay, just talk in, uh, we talk about the Clangberry service of the hospice. Uh, due to the uh, uncoveraged area in Clangberry, it's still a lot of grey area. I mean, not able to cope up. And then my role is sometimes, is though a service that are not hospice cover, then it's our role to come in to help the patient when they say, when they discharge back to home, we need to help them to sort out all the medical equipment they need. It. This is a basic need for them. We need to listen. Yeah. So we are work with medical uh, 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 teams very closely on this. Then later on, other uh, uh, process of or, 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 or solution, they will follow up by to the medical. So this is a win-win situation. And this is so um, very much, this drives home the point where you need community to come in and do this. The medical uh, professionals are doing what they have to do. Uh, like you said, uh, they're they are already strained. Many are burnt out, right? And um, this idea of where then the community steps in provides all those connections and links. Yes. Right? But um, uh, Mr. Mok, is, is this something, I mean, we like to think in Malaysia we're a very caring society. Um, is this something that comes naturally to our community, do you feel? No. Oh. No. Uh, I still remember before COVID, uh, my boss, I call my boss because he's a palliative counselor. One day, our medical officer, he said, uh, and this thing I refer to Mr. Mok. You know what my counselor says? So, there only one Mr. Mok. If Mr. Mok not along, who you're want to depending on? That would hit me on that day. I think of it. That's why I start from two zero one eight one nine. I will think to reorganize the whole process of training a new wellness place. That's why. When I meet up Tian Wen Fasi and rest of my uh, members, we uh, form up this kind of community setup. In the present, we are working on something of that. Mm. We know that we, you cannot only have one Tian Wen. You cannot cannot only one Mister Mo. Yeah. You need to clone. We don't have, We need to clone fast because we foresee Malaysia uh, old aging issue are typically. Coming soon are very huge of the problem there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, sometimes I feel like we we are facing a crushing burden, aging. So many people being diagnosed with very chronic diseases, um, smaller families, and then um, uh, you know we are losing that. Um, who can we depend on? Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. There's only one Mister Monk. There's only one Tian Wen. Um, but but. 
what 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 do you see so for it's we have neighbors living nearby we have um colleagues we have friends they they should all be the mr mocks right ideally yes and i believe that we can uh develop this it's kind of like uh, what uh, again going back to uh professor alan keller here who who says that um in the past it's impossible to put a policeman to do a, uh, a police watch in each neighborhood so it's using that uh, in the malaysian context uh, the rukun tetangga so the community steps up and you know bind together as a collective society and i believe there is this potential and we can work on it so as i say it's everyone's responsibility mm. if we shift that mindset as opposed to saying that oh it's just so and so who does this mm. right we we still need this to coordinate uh the care and support but ideally as i say you know eventually uh true um as well as like the broader bigger society uh you know it's not just limited to the ngos corporate schools football clubs uh places of worship mm. it's all in the community mm. right so each one chip in as a collective mm. community yeah has the problem been uh that people tend to think if you are suffering it's your family's problem Mr. Mock. Mm, on I this, mean, that's a that's a that's a very harsh way to to look at it, I suppose. Yes, yes. Uh, in this aspect, uh, uh, I think in terms of pain or this, I leave it to medical uh uh uh, uh, uh specialist to do it. For us, we try to look for other aspect lah by through the another to say like maybe spiritual. To control, or even we are bring in some we call it complementary treatment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think Malaysia at uh, this moment are not ready yet for this such a service, but in Australia, in US, in Hong Kong, in Japan, they do it. Uh, they can. Uh, the their input is acupuncture, aerotherapy, even music therapy. Uh, uh, I think this is already as as a needy mm. for to reduce their need. Mm. Yep, yep. Um, actually, you know, uh, because you said there are only perhaps a few volunteers who can do that critical role of coordinating, uh, but uh, in the end, it comes down to sort of everyone being able to play different parts. Um, and you mentioned compassionate communities, right? Um, I love that example you gave of in the UK bringing school children to visit hospice uh, centers. What else do you think that um, we can do in society to create more supportive environments for the experiences of of death and dying? Very good point. I think we start off with uh, the whole awareness first, right, and move on to take on steps. Uh, programs that we can uh, collaborate as a whole, as a community, uh, with NGOs, with corporate, with the government, uh, to tailor to you know a, a wider um, 
support and care. Uh, just start off with the awareness, right? And saying that, yeah, it's everyone's responsibility. So, uh, for instance, a case where um, a very dedicated staff has to resign to care for uh, the family member, right? So how best the community, meaning the corporate as well, can come in to work out, you know, a, a win-win situation. So for instance, it could be the community have the respite care, right? Respite care is to uh, have um, caregivers, it could be volunteers, or it could be, you know, NGOs who take up this role to assist and support that care where the caregiver could continue to work on. Corporate as well, through their corporate social responsibility, mm -hmm. could also come in with resources. So it could be monetary, it could be funds, it could be, you know, manpower, it could be um, uh, uh, networks. <coughs> yeah. So we come as a collective, as opposed to it's just an individual family that is facing. And uh, there are a lot of cases where, very sadly, that, you know, that uh, person or that individual has no one to turn to yeah. and has to, you know, pretty much overburden by taking care of their loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine um, how lost and alone a caregiver might feel in that situation or, or perhaps just that small unit of family members struggling on their own mm -hmm. where there's, there's, there's a big community out there that should be sort of reaching out, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, I would like to wrap up with um, a, a message to leave our listeners with. We're talking so much about the role of each of us in the community being interconnected um, and how... Um, we can help people, everyone around us in, in good and bad times. And it's going to be one of us eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, death is a universal experience. Mm -hmm. What does our society, and, and because we live in perhaps increasingly a very individualized society, what's in it for me? Okay, so what does our society gain collectively um, when the community comes together with this positive approach to death and dying? What do we gain? What, what's in it for us? Mr. Mok. I still remember, I think a few months before, I have one patient, just give me a word. Adopt a plant in your house. Just simple. Eh? I mean, this is a service. It's just that you, you like it, you don't like it, you still face it. That's right. It's just that just a, you adopt a plant in your house. So that one, you can go back to community. The concept is it. Mm. And so for uh, I think it's about mutual growth in terms of caring. So when we are at both ends too, I'm saying uh, the caregiver as well as the being cared, a patient, it's through this process, it's a very sacred moment. And it is because of this, we are being human. Right? We go through pain, suffering. And to have someone to be with us, we don't feel alone. We are not isolated. And we feel that warmth and the care, the compassion. All right. Interesting, very, very profound thoughts to leave us with for the weekend, I think. Uh, and I've um, 
I think this is something um, we should, you know, our podcast will be up. Something you want to listen to again and let these thoughts sink in. I think it may be difficult for some of us to talk about death, uh, but we have to start somewhere and know that um, right out there in our community, there's other people we can reach out to. Thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. The Venerable Tian Wen, Chairman of the Universal Kindness Caring Buddhist Society, and Mok Chikbun, a volunteer with Suchi Foundation. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9.